Unpacking Injustice with the Montana Innocence Project. This podcast tells the real stories behind wrongful and unjust convictions and illuminates the complex issues responsible for making our criminal justice system unjust. Today, we are bringing you a conversation with researchers Allison Martin and Matt Herman about their work on racial equity and Montana's criminal legal system and efforts to improve data collection and analysis. Let's begin unpacking. Last July, the Council of State Governments Justice Center released a report detailing disparities experienced by Indigenous peoples in Montana's criminal legal system. In part one, two of the researchers, Allison Martin and Matt Herman, detailed the study's findings. In this episode, Allison and Matt will dive more into why data is important for making change and a recent initiative to collect better data called Justice Counts. Take a listen. Could you both speak to the importance of data generally for making change in the criminal legal system? I mean, I, I think at like a very high level, you sort of you have to start measuring something before you can know something. Um, and there's different ways of measuring things and there's different ways of knowing things. Um, speaking to people who are involved in the system and qualitative research is certainly a very important and valid way to do that. Um, and quantitative research and the things that I do more frequently is, is, is sort of complements that. Um, and so, but I think at, at a general, at, at a general principle, if you sort of don't know where you're at, you don't know where you want to be or where you're going, or if any changes that you made had an impact. So a lot of the sort of work that we can do and research that we can do, um, looks at comparisons. And so you can look at a period before some policy change or for, before some legislative change, and then a period after some legislative change. Um, and unless you have data to sort of back that up from what was going on before and what was going on after, it can really, it can be hard to sort of uh, isolate and understand if the policy changes that you put in place, if the legislative changes you put in place actually had the intended outcome. Um, so, for me, it's it's sort of essential, but that's sort of from my biased perspective from this data and research world. And like I said, and and like we sort of like Allison mentioned, to complement this more quantitative approach, you'd also want to do a lot of qualitative research and speak with people who are justice involved, and speak with judges and speak with clerks, and sort of to get that more robust and holistic understanding of a, of the system. Yeah, a hundred percent, Matt. Um, it's it's one thing to believe something from your personal experience and have anecdotal evidence to support it, but without data, whether it's a larger kind of qualitative data effort, speaking with people or quantitative, collecting data from across the state or the jurisdiction, whatever you're looking at, or both, um, you you can't really tell if what you're seeing is a systemic problem. And then assuming that it is, you, you need to get the attention and support from agency leaders and legislators to be able to make the necessary changes to address those challenges. 
And, you know, something that I mentioned earlier is obviously there are a lot of actors involved in the justice system and addressing something like racial disparities is not something that can be done in isolation with, you know, one administrative policy change with one agency. And it, you know, typically requires the collaboration of multiple agencies and policymakers in order to make more lasting change. But the first step in starting that collaboration is data, really. As researchers, could you speak to what it means for Black defendants and other racial and ethnic groups that could not be included in the study? Does it mean that we can't make meaningful change if we are not able to quantify their disparate experiences in Montana's criminal legal system? Well, I, I think it really goes this is something that Allison just just said. Um, an individual or a group of people can observe what has happened to them or to people that they know or to their community in the system and speak about it and talk about it and maybe advocate for it. Um, but until you can sort of look more systemically, and often this does require some sort of data, it can be hard to potentially convince people or to make a showing that this isn't an isolated problem. You know, this isn't isolated to a particular police department or a particular or a particularly or judicial district or a community, um, but something that is sort of systemic. And so I, I think that can be a limitation. And, it, and it, it, even if those experiences of Black defendants in the Montana system um, you know, even though those at the individual level are certainly valid and real, I think it can be easy for someone, especially people in power to say, no, this is just sort of an isolated incident. Like this is the, you know, our, our legal system and our criminal justice system doesn't have these discriminatory practices. But when we're able to do a more robust study like we did, and we were able to sort of use some statistical techniques to control for other factors, um, I think, again, that gets harder to say, no, this isn't real, right? Like, because we have the evidence of it, both from those lived experiences and from the data and at different points in the data. Um, so I think that's sort of my perspective, like, all of these different ways of knowing things and understanding them and getting to some evidence or getting to some truth can build a case that this thing is real and that these disparities are real. And so the more evidence that we can get both from a quantitative data perspective and also from the stories and lived experiences of people in the system, I think can sort of grow and build and support that. Um, and, you know, hopefully as the, as the Montana judiciary improves their data collection around race and ethnicity, this is something that we could do um, and focus on those potential black and Hispanic disparities as well in Montana, in addition to these ones that we've already documented between white and American Indian people. And, and the other thing I'd add is that we see across the country um, individual and specific moments of change often occur in response to events you know to to what's going on in memphis right now for example like we can look at data related to police stops or calls for service or something like that 
um, in Shelby County and see if there's disparities. Um, and that might, you know, sort of lead to some potential ideas or concepts or advocacy for reform. But then there's also these sort of, you know, events and tragic events that happen that can help focus attention and organize people and sort of change the thinking of of people that's not really data it's it's a it, you know it's one event or one story um so and i think it's the sort of combination of all these that that we've see, that we can see that lead to some of these changes um and so again it's it's this sort of like mix and balance and accumulation of evidence i think that can potentially help um you know a, a large enough group of people get interested in making some of these changes yeah, thank you so much for that context. And luckily, there are some efforts behind getting more usable quantitative data in Montana. And Matt, you are working on one of them with Justice Counts Initiative. Could you talk a little bit about what that is and how Montana is involved? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Justice Counts is a national initiative that is also funded by the Department of Justice and the Bureau of Ju the Bureau of Justice Assistance within the Department of Justice, and it seeks to uh, really get more actionable and timely and useful data from all across the criminal justice sector, all criminal justice sectors, and all across the country. Um, and where it sort of started in the last couple of years was bring together many stakeholders. And again, this is a cross sector. So we're looking at law enforcement, we're looking at prosecutors, we're looking at public defenders, prisons, jails, courts, and the community supervision system. And we brought together, uh, you know, experts in the field, and they helped to define a set of metrics. And we said, you know, what are the most important things you'd want to know about the criminal justice system? Like, what should we be measuring? What are the things that are going to help people, policymakers, the public, and other interested parties make the best decisions. And they came up um, with this slate of metrics. Um, and those are all on our website. Um, and the next stage of the work that we're just sort of getting into right now is working in various states and working with state agencies to actually help them share those metrics with justice counts. And then eventually publish those metrics um, on the Justice Counts website, on dashboards, and in various places. Um, and again, one of the things that I, that I just said, like the timeliness of the data is, is a big piece of this project. So for a lot of these reports, especially these federal reports, they might come out a couple of years later. Like you can go on to some, look at some federal surveys. And the most recent data might be from 2019 or 2020. Um, and especially like during the time of COVID, things change so rapidly. Having data that's from pre-COVID and now is like, you know, it's almost a different world in a lot of places, especially in corrections or jails. There were so many changes that ha had happened. Um, so this initiative really seeks to get better and more timely data um, into the hands of policymakers, stakeholders, and the public. So in Montana, we are really excited that um, the Senate passed a resolution in support of Justice Counts. And so what that does is essentially signal to criminal justice agencies in Montana that the legislature is on board with this and they want them to participate. And what participation looks like from an agency level is uh, working with the Justice Counts team um, 
defining and configuring what metrics and data they have available currently and sharing it to our um, sharing it with justice counts in this online system that then will be published to a public dashboard. Um, and so we're really excited to be working on this. It, you know, it's, the support of the Senate was, was really exciting and we hope to partner with the Department of Corrections and then event and the courts and sort of as many criminal justice agencies in Montana as we can. Um, and to, to the sort of topic that we've been talking about, about racial disparities, um, that is a big piece of justice counts too. So we have metrics that relate to racial equity. And so, for example, we're looking at daily population in prisons or jails by race and ethnicity um, and on a monthly basis. So we can see how these change. We're looking at sentences imposed by courts by race and ethnicity. Um, so those are some of the things that we're hoping to do both in Montana and nationally with Justice Counts. And um, I, I really think it, it, you know, it has the possibility and the potential to answer a lot of these questions that um, often are harder to answer or harder to see because they're maybe in a PDF that's published by an agency each month. Um, and so we hope to really bring that together in one place. Um, and the last thing I'll say about Justice Counts that I'm really excited about is it's this cross-system look. A lot of times you might see data just related to prison population or just related to arrests or reported crime. But the whole criminal justice system is it's all connected, right? Like you have there's more people, more crime that's reported. There's more people that's arrested. There are more people that are held in jails pre-adjudication or on pretrial release. So there's more court cases. There's more work for the public defender. So we're able to eventually we'll be able to look across the whole system and get a really um I think more complete picture of what's going on from those beginning stages in crime and arrest from the law enforcement side to what's happening in the courts and prosecutors and defend and public defenders and then also in the jails, prisons and people on supervision. So it's sort of like this holistic project that I'm really excited about. Do the agencies such as the courts have to participate? And if not, are there other ways to collect that data? You mentioned like looking at daily jail populations. So for, for justice counts, it it is the the model that we're we're taking is that we're we're we want to partner with these agencies and have them share it with us. Um so there are a, there's you know a lot of different um data collection projects and different people and different projects take different tactics. Um like the jail data initiative does some really interesting work and they're doing like they're scraping data essentially like writing computer code to find jail rosters daily jail rosters across the country and pull that in automatically so that's one approach our approach is a little different and relies on the agencies themselves to share data on a monthly or annual basis with justice counts um and sort of we we we've found a lot of um i think we're already finding a lot of support for this in part because this data often already exists and it's just like getting it into a, a format or place that's easy to share and then have a dashboard. And so we have some technical tools that can help the agencies actually do this. Something data that they're already collecting, they may already want to share, but they might not have the tools at hand to, to actually do that. Is Justice Counts, um, I know you mentioned Montana is a pilot state. Is it far enough along to speak to the level of participation in getting these partnerships with different agencies? We're still really early. 
nationally. Montana is one of the founding states. And so that means that they're getting some support and technical assistance from the Justice Center in this project. Um, Iowa, New Mexico, Nevada, those are some of the other founding states. And we're all sort of right at the beginning of this project. We're actually just before this call, I was going through our, our app that we're building and sort of doing final <laughs> quality control and QA things. So we're really like at the point where agencies are about to sort of turn it on and start sharing the data. Um, so I think, you know, within the next within the next year, I think we'll see a lot of data, both from Montana and other states, starting to be pushed into the Justice Count system. Is there anything else that Allison or Matt you would want to share that I didn't ask you about? Um, I'd say, so one of the things that I found pretty interesting in this project that we haven't talked more specifically about is the variation in how frequently race information is collected by certain courts. Um, so there's like a companion report to the racial equity report that describes how and where data is most missing in the court system. Um, and it's like very in the weeds and has probably an even smaller audience than our already small audience. But I think it's really interesting when you think about when the judiciary thinks about what are the ways that they can improve this. And so what we saw is that certain courts collect 90% or more, uh, you know, when you look at the race and ethnicity of defendants, they have it in more than 90% of cases in a number of courts. Um, in other courts, you're only seeing it in like 10, 15, 20% of cases. So that variability to me speaks to these this variation in business processes um, and in relationships between the police departments and sheriffs and law enforcement agencies with the courts for how the actual data comes in and where the race information is collected. Um, so when I see like big differences in some specific measure, in this case, we're talking about the amount of race and ethnicity collected, that speaks to the opportunity to say like, okay, what are these courts, what's going on in Lewis and Clark County? Why are they, how are they able to collect almost 90, 90 or 92%? I don't have the numbers in front of me of race information. Like, can we copy them? Can we sort of learn from them and, and do that in our other judicial districts? What is the best practice for collecting data at the court level? Is it that connection between law enforcement agencies and courts or, you know, what is your, at a high level, what's your yeah. best practice? No, it, it, we, we go over some of that in our other report. And I think there's, um, there's some work that the National Center on State Courts has, have done around this in developing um, recommendations and data standards for all courts of how, how data should be collected by courts. It's called the National Open Data Standards. Is that, yeah, National Open Data Standards from the National Center for State Courts. Specifically around race and ethnicity, um, they recommend that when you collect race and ethnicity information, um, you collect not just people's race, but you want to know how it was collected. And so, so, so why that's important is that we know from a lot of other research that people who self-identify their race, that is a, a much more accurate representation than when someone is just sort of observed or perceived by someone else and they write down what their race is. Um, so in our report, we recommend, and the National Center for State Courts also does, that um, people and defendants be allowed to identify their own race if possible. 
Um, and you know, this is really, this is really tricky actually. And how it would work in practice, I think is something that, you know, the administrator office of the courts and clerks would really have to think through because you could imagine someone coming before a judge and one of the first questions they ask is what race are you? Like that, that doesn't seem like the right way to do it. You know, justice is blind. We don't want any sort of perceptions or perceived, um, sort of just, you know, you know, why would it be important for me to tell you what my race is? So I think there are ways that the courts could do it in, if there are specific filings that they might, that their attorneys might make, or if there are pre-sentence investigations that are conducted, that could be an element uh, where that is requested sort of outside the context of like a court appearance or an arraignment or other sort of check-in forms or paperwork that's transmitted. That could be a good place for a court to request that a defendant self-identify their race and ethnicity. Um, when it comes to courts that are doing really well on this, a lot of what we saw is that um, municipal courts that hear that hear the lower level, the misdemeanor cases, are more likely to have race information about the about defendants, and a lot of that that we heard comes directly from those law enforcement agencies. And some courts have this automatic system where the information on the citation that is um, issued by a police department is automatically transferred into the court's data system. Um, and so that's one, one way to do it. Um, and there are other very, that we, we sort of heard from various manual processes for how other information might, that isn't that what there isn't a citation associated with, or there aren't those automatic data sharing links between systems that that doesn't exist it's a much more manual process and relies on the, a clerk to get the right form from the district attorney or from the law enforcement agency and enter it so there are all these sort of like i said this the variation in the amount of data race information that's collected speaks to these this variation in the business processes and practices and so I think as much as possible, like any automated data transfers and links between systems is always going to increase the amount of data collected. But at the same time, you sort of nationally best practice for actually getting accurate race information is to allow people to self-identify also. So some combination of those systems, I think, could really boost the availability of race information across all the systems. Um, one, like, really sort of in the weeds detail that doesn't sound important but is actually really key is um, a single identifier for people that can be used across the system um, some states have this and some states don't but when one of the big challenges is like how do you know that the person arrested is the same person that is in the court system and then it's the same person that's in the doc system because they all use different data systems and different databases from different vendors. Some of them are commercial vendors. Some of them they've built themselves by IT departments. And so to be able to link someone's records across those various systems can be challenging, especially if there isn't a unique identifier that can be used and associated with that person in those different data systems. Um, so those are some of the challenges that not just Montana, this is like every state deals with, with these issues, but those are some of the things um, that eventually could improve this data collection and data sharing and data exchanges across systems. That's so interesting. Thank you for <laughs> answering that. Um, well, thank you so much, Allison and Matt. This was 
a really great conversation. Thank you for breaking down these complicated <laughs> topics in a in a way that's easy to understand. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Randy. It's nice talking Thanks, to Randy. you. You too. Great Have to a good you. day. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to our conversation with Matt and Allison. Their study, titled Racial Equity in Montana's Criminal Justice System, an analysis of court, corrections, and community supervision systems, will be linked in the description of the podcast. Justice is a Montana Innocence Project podcast. The art was created by Rob Truax, and the music was composed by Corey Fay. To learn more about the Montana Innocence Project, visit our website, mtinnocenceproject.org, or follow us on social media at Big Sky Innocence. Thank you for unpacking injustice with the Montana Innocence Project.